Commissary Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. Now, there's only really one topic we can talk about this week for Comms Day Live, and that's the, the simple fact that Communications Minister Michelle Rowland made what I described in Comms Day as a dramatic intervention in the ongoing saga of MBN's special access undertaking uh, variation. Um, basically, Telling MBN, sorry, you've got to start again. No one likes your proposed variation. Prices are too high. Uh, everyone's pretty cheesed off of what you're trying to do here. So you've got to start again. Um, but she also had some words for the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and retailers who've been objecting to MBN's proposed pricings, pricing, saying, if you don't put your heads together and achieve a successful outcome this time, it's going to be a failure for all involved. So she's put some collective responsibility on everyone to maybe give a little bit of ground to meet each other in the middle. It's not totally a repudiation of NBN and what I proposed. Now, basically what the issue is, is that NBN was working under a statement of expectations set by a Liberal Party minister. So it had sort of slightly different priorities. And... The, the construct we've been told this week is, well, it was basically trying to set up MBN for privatisation. Whether that was actually the major expectation, I'm not so sure. But that's what is being talked about now. MBN no longer is being set up for privatisation. That means you don't need um, to achieve high revenues and the high profitability that would be required to maintain a standalone credit rating, uh, an investment-grade credit rating, um, should you be privatised. That sort of takes the heat off, and, and perhaps you can be a bit more flexible, particularly in terms of affordability. So Michelle Rowland and the Finance Minister, Katie Gallagher, wrote to the MBN chair, Kate McKenzie, saying that because there's been a change of government, we have created space for problem-solving. Our preference is that we don't have a direct regulation by HLC, but, but all parties continue with the special access undertaking process, which is basically where MBN creates an offer in terms of how it's pricing and its systems will work. Often that offer doesn't actually involve actual prices. It's more about the processes and the assumptions and how you get to a price. And then the HLC, um, in, in Michelle Rowland's um, uh, expectations, will, will tell MBN what it's looking for, MBN will provide that, it'll tick yes, and then in early 2023, we will have a new special access undertaking that everyone is happy with. Now, um, there's a couple of little little hitches here, and um, I, I think uh, they were probably put best by Compete, which is the lobby representing challenger telcos. Um, and and you know, these are the types who often don't have their own infrastructure employees, they're, they're resellers, MVNOs, those types of operators. And what they said is, we remain a little sceptical that MBN Co. will put forward an SAU that is fair and reasonable and satisfies all the statutory requirements and suspect that the ACCC may still ultimately need to intervene to make an access determination. So that's a, a significant lobby saying, uh, okay, this is all great. It sounds great in theory that we're going to have another go at it, but maybe it won't quite work like that. And in a column that I wrote for Comms Day, I also identified a few other issues that I think need to be addressed. And and whilst um, Michelle Rowland did cover off quite a lot of territory in the letters to the ACCC and Emienko and her statement yesterday, there, there was 
a, a couple of things that I noticed and, and, and which perhaps weren't talked about so much. One, one was, how are you going to deal with the bondholders? There's $20 billion or so of outstanding private debt that, that MBNCO has to roll over, service the interest. And there are assumptions behind the uh, AA rating, which is given to them by Fitch. Um, and one of them, one of those assumptions is continued revenue and margins growth. So if, if, if MBN doesn't hit those numbers, or, or it looks like it's not going to hit those numbers, that could prompt rating agencies to downgrade their credit rating. And that will add to the interest bill. So you might you might think you're very clever at constraining MBN's revenues on one hand, but if it just results in a higher interest bill on the other, then you actually haven't moved anywhere. But another issue I saw, and, and it was obliquely referenced by Michelle Rowland in her letter to the ACCC, um, is the fact that the ACCC and the government are on completely different pages when it comes to the desirability of high-speed broadband. So the ACCC puts out all you know, the Measuring Broadband Australia reports every quarter. And they say, oh, we, people just need to consider if they're actually, they need the speed that they're paying for. After all, HD video only requires 2.8 megabits and UHD requires just 8 megabits. That's actually not necessarily the case. They're, they're talking about averages and very low averages. You watch an action movie that requires lots and lots of information in the video frame, frame by frame. I'm sorry, that you're going to need a lot more than two or three megabits at an HD level and a lot more than eight megabits at a UHD level to watch that. The, the, the ACCC also showed that it's a bit of a, a high-speed broadband sceptic in its actual very reaction to the MBN SAU, where it said it was really worried about where 12 megabit prices and 25 megabit prices will be in 18 years' time. Well, remember 18 years ago, 84% of Australians were still on dial-up. So if they seriously think that's going to be an issue in 18 years' time, that does betray a certain mindset. Now, I personally think that that's at odds with what Labor wants, which it's, it's clearly um, believes in the transformative effect of high-speed broadband on society and the economy. I, I, that's in their DNA. And that was very much the driving force behind the creation of the whole MBN concept in the first place. So I think they need to get on the same page there. And I, I found it very interesting that in her letter to the ACCC, Michelle Rowland said, um, regarding her constituents, she said, they are not complaining to me about the price of MBN services. They are primarily concerned with quality and service. I have encouraged all stakeholders to keep this in perspective when considering the long-term interests of consumers. Now, what does that mean? Quality and service, that mean that NBN complaints department should pick up the phone quicker when there's a fault or something. That's not really what she means. She's talking about the fact that the, the, the perception, the assumption is that if you build out fiber closer and closer to more customers in more places, you are going to reduce fault rates you are going to improve service characteristics. You are going to improve reliability. That's what she's talking about. And it's, to my mind, a rather an oblique, but still not too subtle message to the ACCC. Stop your focus on low prices. You've actually also got to think about some of the other things around network operation. That means a, a network of quality, a network that is reliable, a network that can support high speeds, as market demands it, as the market demands it. So anyway, that's that's what happened with the letters and, and Michelle Rowland. And there's been quite a lot of reaction um, in the last 24 hours since that all came out to, to um, 
what Michelle Ro- Michelle Rowland had to say. And I am joined by none other than the inimitable Rowan Pierce, the executive editor of Comms Day, to tell us what happens next and what RSPs are saying. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. <laughs> I, have, I, I have to say... What? Like, maybe one day I'll get, like, change up of adjectives. I'll be the terrifying executive editor or something. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's been, like, a, 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 a dramatic week, as you say. I guess um, I guess in one level, though, it's kind of, it's not... You, you kind of expect something to give, and it has, and it's kind of, like, you know, it was already... This whole process was really on life support, and the plug has been pulled now. And I think, like, obviously, the kind of initial reaction that we're seeing from RSPs is everyone has kind of, like, been pro this decision really but i guess the question is like now now what is going to happen with the next iteration of the sau um i've got an article tomorrow in comsec which kind of deals with um what what happened next really which is one the ACCC has kind of committed to the time frame of the government the suggested time frame of the government obviously michelle Rowland hasn't given a kind of order per se to the ACCC, but the ACCC says that they expect to have a process where we can get a new SAU in place by 1 July 2023. NBN's also kind of indicated that they're up for that time frame too. So it's kind of, um, you know, hopefully hopefully we're not going to have the kind of same drawn-out process, but I will say that everything involving the, <laughs> the SAU thus far has been extremely drawn out over the years. I was looking at some of the kind of like past variations today where you know, submit a, a variation submitted in 2019, I think got signed off in like 2021, 20, 22 from memory. So kind of, it hasn't been a speedy process. The other interesting thing that kind of came out today is that the, um, the ACCC has indicated that they're going to kind of, to me, it sounds like they're going to play an active role in trying to shape what the SAU will look like now. Um, they're going to be convening a stakeholder um, roundtable in August um, obviously, NBN and the RSPs will participate, and presumably the government too. And I've kind of heard that that's expected to be around um, two days. And I, the other thing that I've heard is that they're kind of trying to avoid what seemed to be a bit of a dead end process last year. If you remember, um, uh, ACCC convened a series of kind of like industry roundtable followed by a series of workshops to kind of work through some of the SAU issues ahead of the formal lodgement by NBN of the variation. Obviously, though, despite all of that process, what happened when NBN did lodge its proposals was, I mean, the reaction from the ACCC is they gave a strong indication that they would not sign off on NBN's proposals. And obviously, RSPs have come, came out and were, like, not in favour of a lot of NBN's proposals. But, I, I, you know, the, the sentiment is this time that they will be able to kind of reach some sort of agreement. It's kind of like just, just thinking when you're before when you're talking, like, it is... It is crazy that we're talking an agreement out to like what is it, twenty forty, I think, which is like a long, a long way to have a framework that's going to be able to kind of operate and deal with all the technological changes and that kind of thing. And so you do kind of wonder: is it like, is 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 it possible to cop together an SAU that's going to actually last the distance? Really, that's a really good point. And of course, the the original intention back in back in two thousand and nine or 10 or whatever this started going out 30 years was that a new national network operator needed that long-term horizon of regulatory certainty to um, be able to make uh, efficient investments and prudent investments that it needed that kind of certainty. That was the reasoning back then behind it. But of course, the very fact that 10 years in, 
<laughs> the world to rip up the whole thing and start again perhaps shows that that it was an unrealistic expectation. And just, just to put a little bit of background as to how we've got here, and we did talk about this in a previous podcast, so apologies to people if I'm repeating myself here. But the reason this happened was that in late 2013, which was actually when the original SAU was signed off, we, uh, we, we had a new government. They changed the policy about the NBN and they threw in some new technologies which weren't covered by the original SAU, which was focused very much on fibre to the premises. Some new technologies came in, fibre to the node, HFC. Subsequent to that, fibre to the basement, fibre to the curve. That meant that the SAU technically didn't apply to these new technologies. It was unregulated. Um. So through 2016, 17, and 18, NBNCO tried to do something about this and launched variations to try and address some of these issues. And as you indicated, Rowan, some of the unanticipated things that have bobbed up in the meantime and they wanted to fix in the SAU. Both, both times, those variations were withdrawn out of similar impulses to what's just happened this week. doesn't look like they're going to get accepted, so we'll... Um, put our tail between our legs and slink off. So this situation endured until the end of 2020, September 2020, as this happens, when Paul Fletcher put a statement of expectations out saying he expected NBN and the ACCC to work together on this, come up with an SAU that's fit for purpose um, using a building block model, which is sort of specifically the guidance he gave. Um, and this culminated... Um, in a discussion paper in the middle of last year, then a whole bunch of workshops. I think seven, there's a round table and 17 workshops over six months. I mean, this is seriously like a Rolling Stones world tour, this consultation in terms of its, uh, its endurance, its staying power. And, uh, and even at the end, the end of last year, NBN said, okay, we'll put our SAU in now. The HCC said to them, why didn't you have a think about it over Christmas? <laughs> Put it in in the new year. Have a bit more of a reflection on what the RSPs have told you in these workshops. And perhaps there was a little clue in that, <laughs> that the ACCC wasn't liking what it was hearing from NBN. Then fast forward to this March, NBN put its SAU in. And then, whoa, election coming. <laughs> so the whole thing gets put on hold. SAU gets published the day, literally the first working day after the election. The HLC literally, with the publication of the SAU, puts out negative commentary about it, which I liken to a referee going into one team's dressing room before a match and telling them, sorry, guys, you've lost the match <laughs> before a ball has been kicked. Um, and the rest is history. Here we are now, late July. The minister has said, this is, this is uh, futile. Let's hit the reboot button and start again. So that's how we got here. Now, Rowan, tell us what the RSPs actually said about the SAU, which has uh, led to its uh, repudiation by both the political class and the regulator. I mean, I, I think the big issue that we heard from the RSPs was generally around pricing and particularly the focus kind of on the, you know, the CPI plus X formula that um, MBM was advanced. I mean, as you pointed out, the kind of, at the same time, there was the additional restraint on MBN Co. in terms of the overall revenue cap, but there was very much a kind of focus on um, 
on that uh, formula and the kind of idea that, you know, we could just see price rise after price rise after price rise um, from NBN. I think one interesting thing that um, came out in the TPG telecom submission, for example, was the fact that they they didn't think that there should be an SAU where RSPs are going to end up paying more than they already were under WBA4. So I think um, that was... Obviously, pricing was a key factor. It wasn't the only thing, actually. I guess, um, you know, there were some kind of comments from Aussie Broadband too around, uh, uh, you know, service assurance and service quality and that kind of thing, which echoed a bit like some of the stuff in um, Michelle Rowland's letter, I thought. Um, and actually, uh, one... Just, just going back to the letter, I thought it was very interesting the fact that she said, actually, I should say, I'm a constituent in, um, in, Roland's, in Roland's lecture. I've never complained about my NBN connection. I've got fiber to the prem, which helps. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, that, the thing that she was hearing around uh, service quality that you kind of raised before um, versus kind of the cost issue... Um, although I will say TPG, TPG did say indicate they were concerned about the price rises at the lower end too, which probably reflects the kind of the fact that they've got a lot of budget broadband customers that they inherited from the the former TPG business. Um, one one interesting thing actually that just occurred to me as well when I was reading uh, Roland's letter was the fact that um, Stephen Rue we reported on a address of his recently, which he he mentioned that compared to energy. Um, and the, the kind of like the horrific increase in energy prices we're seeing right now, he's not seeing the same chatter around broadband prices as well, which kind of, um, you know, there, there might be some common ground there with, uh, with the communications minister. Yeah, look, that's the thing. And, and look, you know, Michelle Rowland ultimately is responsible to her electorate. So, of course, the messaging she put out yesterday was going to be very much about affordability and, and, and service quality, that kind of stuff. But she still does have the cap as the shareholder. And this is the essential conflict in, in a way we have constructed our telecommunications industry in Australia where the minister simultaneously makes policy for the public interest and is also a shareholder in a commercial operator that is run to break even or at least not become insolvent. So there can be some conflicts there, obviously, at times. And that's all her predecessor ministers had to wear both hats as well. It's not something specific to her. But I think I think you're right there. If you get beyond it, the, uh, you know, the, the government does not want MBN to go broke. It does not want it to become insolvent. Um, what, what does it want? It, it clearly wanted NBN to put an offer up that was not going to get the vociferous reaction that it got across from all RSPs and the, the blanket rejection, you know, where RSPs competed each other with each other with more and more extreme adjectives <laughs> to describe how terrible this document was. And I think where NBN went a little wrong was to say, look, look, we want an SAU that gives us optionality. So, you know, in one, one area... These are our pro- proposed price caps for high speed. It was CPI plus 3%. And for lower speed, it was just CPI. Um, and, and we'll only retain capacity charging on the lower speeds. You know, um, the thing is that they, these were like the outlier examples. Like this is the most we will charge in isolation for each specific price plan. Now, what happened was that the RSPs turned around, and, and the ACCC as well, said, oh, this is their proposed pricing. This is actually what they forecast, what they propose as tariffs. And that actually wasn't what they were proposing because they also modelled 
what they actually thought they would get in the marketplace. And it was considerably less than what people were projecting onto them. <laughs> we're talking, in fact, we talked about this in Commerce Day a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about a rise in monthly ARPU of $1 a year. Yeah, so as you said, Rowan, next to energy prices, well, you increase my telecom price $1 a year, that's a bargain. <laughs> so, so, um, so it wasn't very modest, but, but MBN made a positioning error, a presentation error, I, I feel, in their SAU, where they headlined with these extreme outlier options where you, you, you tap the CPI plus 3% option for high speed if maybe something else isn't doing very well and you need to make up that revenue somewhere. And it was all about giving themselves lots and lots of optionality everywhere. And they almost, in a sense, headlined with that. And it just opened it up to be criticized and attacked and rejected. So that's that's what I perceive as having been the issue in how NBN went about this. And despite the guidance from Michelle Rowland, which she's, she's said specifically she doesn't like prices going up by CPI, Plus 3%. Remember, inflation yesterday came out at 6.1%. So we're talking about a 9.1% increase in your 100 megabit service next year, potentially. Of course, no one wants that. But the funny thing is what NBN itself didn't really think it was going to get that. That That's probably the, the main point I want to make. But also, unfortunately, though, NBN hasn't really been told what is an acceptable price rise or price change. That's actually probably what's missing. Um. Is it CPI plus 2%? Nah, I have a feeling that'll get rejected too. So it's got to be something much more modest or perhaps even a decrease in price if somehow they can make that work and keep their lenders happy and and all that kind of thing. I think that the big thing which gives the MBN room to move is saying, please come up with a new approach on the initial cost recovery account. Now, that's a, a little arcane accounting concept where essentially NBN is to capitalize its losses in an account which currently runs at 36 billion dollars which is actually a, an expression of how much money they've lost over the years and under the, the previous arrangements they are given the opportunity to recover it and are entitled to recover it under the sau regime now what michelle rodden is saying maybe just forget about it don't try and recover it or don't recover some of it We'll leave it to you guys to work it out. Now, the interesting thing is that MBN Co's own projections, it seems they only think they could recover about half that amount over the next 18 years. So let's call that $18 billion as half of $36 billion over 18 years. That's a neat billion a year. So if you actually uh, waive your claim to the ICRA, maybe that's a billion dollars of revenue a year you don't need. In the context of your expectation, that you'll be earning something around six, seven billion a year. So we're talking 15, 20%, a 15, 20% revenue haircut. This is nominal. This is very much back of the envelope, or shall I say the beer coaster on the plane in terms of my calculations. But that's what we're talking about. And maybe this is kind of the ballpark of where MBN can move on pricing. That's maybe 15 or 20% is, is what they've got to play with. Will that keep RSPs happy? I don't know. What do you think, Rowan? I don't know either. I will. I will say one one interesting thing though is that during the consultation, like RSPs, 
a lot of RSPs have indicated, well, they're in favour of potentially the ACCC directly stepping in and scrapping the whole SAU thing. But I think one thing that did come out of the minister's letter was the fact that the government, the government very much wants an, a successful SAU. And now we've kind of got like a, a what would seem to be a commitment from the ACCC to get that process over the line. And obviously NBN wants that process over the line. So I think it seems to me like at least that kind of... Uh, uh, what would be for NBN an unpalatable option has been taken off the table, which I think has been an interesting development this week. Yeah, I, um, there's a couple of reasons why I don't think the government wants a direct regulation model. <laughs> Firstly, they lose all control. <laughs> Suddenly an unelected bureaucrat is deciding the fate of your national broadband network. Um, so, so there definitely is that issue. But there's also some sort of procedural problems, you know, you can't. I think under the rules, the HLC actually can't make an access determination for eighteen years. Yeah, there, there are shorter time limits on it. I think I'd have to check on this, and I'm probably a little wrong, but I think it's a couple of years or five years or something. So you'd, you'd have regular regulatory reviews, which of course in- increases you know the potential for constant change, which of course could be quite upsetting to lenders or, or simply to Airbnb's visibility in terms of capital and so on. Um, so that, that, that's one issue. The second issue is that we actually. We've been here before. The ACCC used to directly regulate Telstra's copper pricing. And, it, you know, at one point, unbundled local loop. You basically, you basically get to use Telstra's copper line and do whatever you want with it. That was priced at $12 a month at one point. And the spectrum sharing component, which is basically you're not using copper for voice, but just for DSL. At one point, the prices for that got literally down to like $2.50 a month. And, and Telstra, quite understandably, said, well, okay, this is all great, but you really are removing our incentive to upgrade this network when we're only getting you know, between $2.50 and $12 a month that other people are using it, and we're under an obligation to provide that to them. And this, this resulted in 2005 in, in, in um, Telstra actually putting forward a proposal to upgrade its network, and uh, with considerably higher wholesale prices... <laughs> than anyone thought acceptable at the time. Although they suspiciously look very close to what MBN's wholesale prices are now. So maybe there was some truth in them. Um, it has been legitimate numbers. But the, but the ACCC didn't like it. Cut a very, very long story short. There was an impasse for several years where Sol Trujillo and, and the minister shouted at each other and stuff like that. And then Stephen Conroy got into government and said, enough of this. <laughs> Stop it, children. I'm going to have an NBN instead. That's how I'm going to solve the problem. So this is a, how this all started was an impasse between the regulator and the access provider. And the exact same scenario has reared its ugly head again this time. So I can very much see why the government is keen not to go back to that situation, but to keep things a little more neutral. Any final thoughts, Rowan? Yeah, I think there was a, one, one little interesting question that you actually raised in your, your column this morning was a question of like, you know, we are kind of NBNS staring down the barrel of still 5G and 6G. And like we just pointed out, the SAU is going to last for a very, very long time in theory. So it's kind of like what's actually going to happen towards the kind of, you know, the end of this new regulatory period for NBN. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah, well, do, doing doing a little bit of you know, thought bubbling here. Not we don't like to blow bubbles on the Comms Day Live podcast, but I'm about to. But doing a little bit of thinking about it, it, it 
Vic Swithers actually hasn't been that much of a player in Australia as a competitor to NBN. I mean, it's, it's done fine. Um, you know, it's done reasonably okay. But it has, has to be put in some context. I think Optus only has about 200,000 fixed wireless subscribers or so. TPG's got very bullish, bullish expectations. They say they're going to add about 160,000 this financial year. I mean, that sounds great. But this is in the context of a market of 9, 10 million fixed customers. It's small bickies market share-wise. So that's primarily a 4G with a bit of 5G as a market. I think it becomes very different when 5G networks become mature. The operators start to see them as sunk costs. They figured out a business model for how to make 5G sell in the mobile marketplace. And then they'll be looking for new things to do with that network. 5G, of course, isn't static. It will become better and better through its generation. And then at the end of this decade, assuming that the you get one generation of mobile per decade... Gee, that makes me feel old. I, I first started reporting on mobile when we were in 1G. So there you go. Um, as we start moving into the 6G era, you've got to look at 5 5G's you know, 10 to 100 times better than 4G. Presumably 6G will involve the same sort of exponential growth. And I'm sorry, at that point, you're... Um, you're um, slightly dog-eared NBN that's still offering a really cheap 25 megabits per second tariff because the competition regulation still on 25 megs because they're given, you know, to use a bit of nudge theory, financial cues to buy it. Suddenly, it doesn't look so compelling anymore. And I think NBN, uh, far, far from the issue which RSPs are saying, which is, oh, God, they're just going to be a rapacious monopoly if we let them get their way. I actually feel they're going to be a slightly pathetic utility that's going to struggle to keep up. I actually see that as a scenario. And I'll use an example. I'll use an example as to what happened to postal services around the world as email eclipsed them. And then, of course, as there was a bit of deregulation in the parcel market and all the parcel providers like DHL and FedEx uh, eclipse them in that part of the market. And of course, where's all the growth now in moving physical goods around the world? It's in parcels because of Amazon and so on. And the postal services of the world, the Australia Post and so on, they've done okay out of it, but they're having to share that cake with a lot of other people. So I'm sorry, in a 6G world, you know, you, 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 your GPON network, okay, normally you can offer a gigabit, but it's still getting contended through a hub. It's 2.4 gigs or whatever. You're going to have to upgrade that, maybe to 10 gigs, maybe to 100 gigs. Like Your capital requirements haven't stopped. You're going to have to keep up, and your pricing is going to have to be damn good because 6G is going to offer something you don't, and that's like proper mobility. So that's my take on it. I, I actually think we should really be thinking about those issues if we're going to have a serious examination of what's happening between now and 2040. That's my view on it. Well, on, on the positive side, maybe climate change will solve that issue for us. Indeed. On that bright and happy note, I would like to thank you, Rowan, for joining us. Cheers. And that's it for Comstay Live this week. We'll see you next time.